Hola. What's up, bitch? Hey. <laughs> What's up, man? How's it going? Uh, I'm good. You know, just another sweaty day here in Cali. I know. Are you gone? Are you gone off the cold brew? Mm, a little bit. A little bit. I've been um, the cold brew's hitting a little harder the last couple of days because I I had to reinstate my um my uh, intermittent fasting. So you got to you're saying you're using uh coffee as an appetite suppressant. No, I I think just I have my since my stomach is emptier in the daytime, I think it's it's hitting me harder. So I I have yeah. to I have to tweet our friends and send text messages to our friends and roast them (laughs) (laughs) offline to get it out of my system before we (laughs) chat with actual people who have, uh, you know, important work to be done. Yeah, because I'm very important. And if you roasted me on this podcast, we would obviously have to stop doing it. So, (laughs) Oh, I wasn't talking about you. I was talking about our guests. Oh, I see. I see. I can, I I will gladly get, um, (sighs) Really, really cranked out of my head and then just talk to you for an hour. No problemo. Fire up the Barbie. Um, well, I'm glad that it's another beautiful, warm day in Southern Cali. Yeah, man. The word bronze doesn't begin to describe <laughs> <laughs> describe my body, but yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Bitch, first of all, I know you're not working in the yard with a shirt off. I'm going sleeveless tea. Oh, I forgot TJ love a tank top. I've seen TJ in a tank top many, many times over the years. There is a big difference between a (laughs) tank top and a t-shirt that has been cut to have the sleeves removed. I'm familiar with the difference. Uh, (laughs) So then why are you calling it a tank top? Because I've also seen you in a tank top, bitch. Don't deny the truth. That's true. That is true. Um, I have a, a tank hasn't hasn't touched my body in in a, in a long time now. Okay, well, when we were on the roof of the standard downtown raving on a Saturday afternoon, you were definitely in an American Apparel tank. That is, I've never worn <laughs> an American Apparel tank top it's in public. Oh, I'm sorry, or was, it, was it was it Quicksilver? I can't remember what brand it was. That would be cool. I mean, I mean you know, no, a, a nice legacy vintage piece from from Quicksilver. <laughs> Leg- sure, Leg- legacy vintage piece. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I get it. If you're a if you're a Southern Cali bro, a tank top at some point is just going to have to bless your torso. It's it's out of your control, honestly. <laughs> but I was, I was never a, a tank man. Trust me. I'm I, not saying any, not- any time that I ever wore a tank was only when it would be like I'm going on, like I'm doing like an outdoor activity, hundred degrees outside. I'm going hiking. I'm going, you know, going for a long bike ride or you know something outdoors where. It's just it's just needed. I've never done it because like I'm I'm gonna look good in this or like wait till they get a glimpse of TJ wearing. You know, I've, I've so never, you're saying so you're, so you're saying you need to up your your arm workouts is what you're trying to say. That is true. I am I am not in a position to where the the guns as it were would ever need to be showed off. No, nah, I mean that. Yeah, you got two string beans <laughs> taped to a, uh, your little Gumby body, so you gotta you gotta up the weight. The kettlebells ain't working, bro. Um, they are working, but it does take time. It does take no, a know. little bit it longer. Take- it takes more time. 
than uh, than I was prepared for, and that's fine. I'm also much like you, not trying to become um, big, not trying to become a buff bro, and at, at all. And I and I, I am. I also know that my frame is never going to accommodate something like that. I disagree. I think if you got a, a proper nutrition program in place and really put the work in, you could get some gains. I could. We I could, could see it. I could get brolic for you. We we could see a shelf on that chest. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? We 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 can sit the cold brew on the chest while while relaxing if you really put the work in. You know, mm-hmm. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be looking like a uh, like a, dar- <laughs> a dark skin Blake Griffin by the end of summertime, baby. Dark skin Blake Griffin. <laughs> Did you see those fire pictures of Blake Griffin? He was like going to get a smoothie shirt off, like it, getting oh, out of the car, getting no. out of the whip. Like first of all, driving with the shirt off means you are shredded. No, you can you cannot. Or sit it a, also means you live in Florida. Sure, but I mean, he lives in. I mean, California is the Florida of the West Coast. Yeah, so. to just be like, all right, I'm gonna, I gotta run to the store and do a couple errands, and you're like, all right, got my wallet, got my keys, got my <laughs> phone, I'm good. And then they're like, do you want to put a shirt on? And you're like, what? Why? I'm straight. Why would I do that? <laughs> no, I mean, but he, I mean, I think he had one in the car. You know what I'm saying? To throw on when he went into the place, like a business, because you can't, you can't, you know. No shirt, yeah. no shoes, no service. As you as you know, I mean, I'm just, sure. Just think of the freedom you must feel to to go drive somewhere, to go get in your car and drive to run errands, and never feel the need to wear a shirt to do that. Your life it's, is it's, your life is good. No, it's it's incredible. My life could never be that. I don't <laughs> think I have the, I don't think I have the confidence. You know what I mean? Even if I had the body, I don't think I have the confidence. I'm I'm a I'm a little shy guy. You know. <sighs> Mm, that's that's debatable um uh well fair i mean it's debatable i guess i'm just man i'm just coming to my wits end with this core bro i need a sweet release <laughs> like a like a massage maybe i mean honestly i just want a dumbbell you know <laughs> i i mean because i've been getting a i've been going to a coffee that a, the famous coffee place here is open, so I've been taking my bike there every day what? to get a. Yeah, I've been using the the local version of the city oh, yeah, bike. Yeah, I told yeah. you that. So I've been just tearing up the streets. Um, Chris, no, my, known known bike hater. I don't hate bikes. I hate people who ride them. Um, <laughs> it's not, it's not about the bike itself. The two wheel device never did anything to me. But mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. fixed gear culture ruined biking. That's the reality, and I think a lot of people would agree with me. Yeah, I, I mean, as a member of the community, or I guess ex-member, I, I can see, I can see where you. I didn't. Think I knew you were a lifelong bike daddy, but I didn't realize it was a fixie. Yeah, I got, I got, I got in the game a long time ago. I would say, you know, early, early two thousands, maybe like two thousand, like the year two thousand, probably. Just a very young, sick. just a young, just a young Tej was was very into San Francisco graffiti sure. bike messenger culture type of vibe. Even though I would never be a bike messenger, I just I just like the whole aesthetic. Uh, well, you know, the aesthetic is like a lot of things cooler than the actual action. You know, <sighs> you um, which I hate. You know, it happens a lot, unfortunately. Um, but mm-hmm. it's also dangerous, which is cool. Hmm. I think that's. I think it's sexy because it's dangerous. That attracts people to it. You know. 
It is dangerous, and I've I've learned that um, you know once once you get a little bit older, that that danger is not as it's not as cute as it once was. Uh, I hate danger um, because I'm a total pussy, and I don't like I don't the, like. I learned that when when I did that story about riding a motorcycle. Like I'm just not cut out for this shit, man. I'm mm-hmm. good. Like I'm good. I'll be in a let me let me get in the fucking you know baby mama bins with with four doors and a seat seat belt. I'm scraped. But do you? But when you're when you're in your little little C class, are you are you going fast? Are you driving? Well, you know I like to go fast. Are DJ, you driving I'm, like a Hellcat? You know I'm driving like a Hellcat, bitch. <laughs> Come on now, you already know the vibes. Okay, well that's no. something. There's a lot of people who don't who don't. That's do that. true. I I like to break the law in in my own small ways. You know, mm. um, you ever run? But, you ever run a red? I might have run a red, TJ. You know what I'm saying? I might have done that. I'm not going to incriminate myself on this podcast, but I might, I might have done that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Somebody with the name Big CB might have done that. Um, oh, clean up on aisle me. <laughs> uh, all right. So we got to call our guest. Is he our, is, is he our first Los Angeles guest? No, we think we did. An, did we do another? Uh, I think we did another LA person. I think we did too, but I can't remember who. There's been sorry time. i know we're just flying through the rolodex um so today we are talking to uh scott sternberg um known los angeles resident uh founder of entire world um a popular brand that you probably are familiar with maybe even own a sweatsuit from uh <laughs> before that he was the brains behind band of outsiders which is a cult uh label that you know was kind of beloved by a lot of people including myself even though i couldn't wear it because i'm too big um <laughs> But we're gonna we're gonna give give Scott a call and hear what's been going on with business and his dog and and you know just what he's doing if he's chiefing or not. Um, mm, we're I'm glad we're gonna get into chiefing. I know you are. All right, let me call him. Hey dudes, how you do, how you doing? <laughs> hey <I'm> dudes, okay. <laughs> how are you guys? Uh, you know, man, pretty good. Um, actually. I've settled into this, but I'm starting to unravel. <laughs> well said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, are you at home? Yeah. And have you left L.A. or have you been locked down the whole time? I haven't left my neighborhood. I haven't gotten in my car for <laughs> seven weeks. I'm Come not on. Now, are you serious? I'm, I'm serious. I just, you know, I, I think this is very natural state for me um so yeah i i i I get get deliveries of food i get a a lunch salad delivery that i get anyway and i get my blue apron meals that i cook for dinner and Mm. i walk around i live in the hills so i can walk like i live in essentially like a park um I'm going to the vet right after this, so that'll be my first outing. I'm like completely happy. So, really, so when you said first outing in, you said seven weeks. Like you're being for real. You haven't left. I'm not shitting. I mean, listen, you're the I most walk, quarantine I, guest we've ever had. I yeah, say. you're 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 adhering to the rules. Gavin Newsom should come shake your hand. It's not even like it's literally like I'm just. This is my inner isolationist, just uh, sort of. Coddling himself, I'm I'm perfectly happy. Are but are you? I mean, is the routine? Are you like sleeping late and shit? Are you getting up early? Is it or is it all the same? No, I mean, I'm get I'm not sleeping late. So 
my company is still alive and kicking and kind of sell we're doing really well but i had to let a lot of people go so i'm doing like 10 jobs right now it's uh, oh so you did so you you let some people go oh yeah we it was what the reality is we were in the middle of a funding round and uh that was put on pause and we're two years in you know to a direct-to-consumer brand that has mass luxury prices so we'll we'll be profitable at the end of next year at the end of our third year Mm. um but no we rely on outside capital so once that got paused ironically our sales started going up but our ticking clock was more intense so no yeah it's i had to let people go it was brutal i mean is it uh were people pretty understanding obviously because there's no No. really (laughs) really no, I mean, I mean, it's just you take you can't. It's it's personal, you know. My staff, like most people, have worked for me for years. This is like a band legacy crew. Yeah. So it's it's like why me and not somebody else? You know, it's there's no there's it's it's so ugly and you know. But mm-hmm. I also have done, I've been here before. Like I know what it's like to lose a company and how fast that can happen. So I just had to jam. It was pretty brutal. Well, I was going to say, I feel like you have, you, you've lived it. So I guess you know what moves you have to make, or not even necessarily what moves you have to make, but how fast you have to act when something happens. You have to, it's like, the period, end of story. That's the biggest lesson in a band. Because when it comes to expense structure and stuff like that, payroll is always your biggest expense. And however long you let that go, um, it just completely eats away. And again, like, there's nothing I would like more than to bring these people back, but the world has been completely rocked in a way that whatever our original financial plan was that allowed for a certain expense structure and payroll, like it's completely out the window, no matter how many sweatsuits we're selling or, or, or whatever it is. So you're, you're, I mean, of course, you're going to have to recalibrate everything when this yeah. comes to some sort of normalcy. But I think that, um, well, are you doing jobs that you're finding uh, pleasurable or is it like a nightmare? Listen, no, I, I, it's, I, 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 I like all of this. I mean, this is my little, uh, my little sandbox, you know, sure. I, you know, the, the design ethos of entire world is very contained purposefully. It's very pure. It's very, uh, sort of pared back modernist sort of approach. A lot of color, uh, not a lot of pattern, not too many, you know, it's a reduced skew plan, even that's like part of the sort of austerity plan or whatever. But so I love designing. I, I love doing all that stuff. I started band like a one man show. You know, I I can I can roll with all that. Um, it's just uh, it's a lot because I'm also dealing with all the financing and still trying to raise money. That's the only thing I don't like doing. I feel like those. Um, yeah, I mean, trotting out and telling people how great you are and hoping they'll write you a check when you leave is not you know for everybody. <laughs> It is soul crushing. It is for Chris, though. <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, I could. I feel like if I had anything to sell, I could do it. But unfortunately, I haven't had an idea yet. You know, that's the hard part. Just stay there, dude. Just stay <laughs> there. It's a better but, job to be in. I mean, do, do you think that? But is that world? Because I, I, the people I know in the VC world are kind of still operating in some. Yeah. And they, they, they look at this as an opportunity. I think they, more than most. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's just that you know. I've never, uh, I've never tried to spin this business for anything other than what it is. We're a consumer products company that 
creates a fantastic product with a lot of value that's targeted at a really uh, kind of vibrant and potentially huge global uh, customer base and with a product that within the next year will have an insane margin and all these sort of fundamentals of like an apparel business. Mm-hmm. Nobody cares about that. That's not. VC <laughs> no, yeah. is. These, I would have to be like, I'm creating an operating system for sweatsuits to be made or something. And I probably could spin it that way and, and maybe, maybe raise some money. But I think that the value system is, is much more aligned with technology, things that scale really fast. Uh, VCs want to get in and out pretty fast. They want to see their money and, and they're going to bet on a lot of crazy ideas um, knowing that the, these disruptive ideas are the ones that uh, not necessarily are going to be embraced by the market faster, but they're just easier. They, they just attract more money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's exciting um, in, in some ways. Do you think the um, – now the sweatsuit obviously has been a part of the business since the beginning. Um, yeah. But was it always number one or have you seen that happen since since the, the, the virus or is that was it trending that way before? No, well, so we had sweats at launch. We didn't have the full monotone sweatsuit. But once we launched that in fall of 18, which was about five months in to business, that it really took over as both the hero item and as a sort of beacon for the brand. Yeah. It, really, it really encapsulates everything that this brand is about in terms of this kind of you know utopian, futurist, modernist uniform. Uh, that's also like Teletubby baby. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope you tell the VC. Yeah, v- so you guys, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, this is VC probably, gold right here, baby. They, they love that. They love that. Um, but you know, so it was, it was a clear, just like it, the market responded to it immediately. It felt very fresh. It wasn't something that was out there, like in the way we were contextualizing it and, and, and the colors we were doing and even just the vibe, it just wasn't there. It felt new and people really got into it. I think that certainly it's become this de facto quarantine uniform for a cross section of fashion people and and people in our echo chamber uh, and beyond. And I've seen a lot of Instagram hotties in the sweatsuit, if that's what you mean. Totally, totally. That's exactly what I mean. that's 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 another way of putting it. Um, but yeah, so it's been, and it's just, it, it, it's been incredible because it's been just driving so much momentum and energy towards the brand that there, we've always, we've been really nice, we've experienced really nice growth since the beginning, but this is one of those bumps that, um, you know, you can't really plan for in terms yeah. of being part of the conversation and, and really just bring, being on the frequency, the, yeah, within part of the cultural dialogue or, or whatever, um, yeah. Do you find it, are you able to be creative right now or are you mostly worried about steering the ship? This is always, you know, this is the, I'm very left brain, brain right brain. It's, it's how I function. I was that way in school. Um, and it's sort of a blessing and a curse. I find the, depending on whether it's design oriented or image making or uh, creativity around marketing, which is a little different than content and image making, like I find the the design and creativity just to be an antidote to the other stuff. It's all necessary. Like you you can't jump into into apparel and 
unless you're a rarefied breed of like Karl Lagerfeld, J.W. Anderson type, mm-hmm. and kind of expect to just like make shit and and have fun doing it. It's really a it's a it's the schmatza business. It's a business. So um, you know it's and however much I complain about the operational or uh, finance side, it's just a, it's just part of what it is. So um, you know it's I don't I don't find it any harder to be creative than than normal. Um, it's just very hot and my AC doesn't work upstairs. (laughs) I tell you what, man, I'm so, so I'm in Montreal (laughs) and Jason and I talk because Jason's in LA. So every time he's, he's like, Oh yeah, man, just another sweltering day out here. Just, you know, and I haven't felt heat yet and it's almost May. And I'm, that's part of the reason I think my edges are fraying. (laughs) I mean, grass is always greener, warmer. I feel you. It'll, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I, I mean, I understand, but I mean, I don't. Or it won't. Yeah, or it won't. Or it won't. I mean, that's the reality. I don't know. Um, I'm still reeling from the fact that you're the most quarantined person we've talked to. Um, <laughs> so are you? Are know. you living? Are you living solo with other people? Got, I am living with one. I, I one sentient being. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> God, my dog. Um, I have a huge backyard, so my backyard is uh, where I socialize with people. So people have uh, definitely come over. I'm not like totally, completely alone. Um, so you do, you do a, a social distance backyard barbecue hang? Yeah, we haven't barbecued yet because I live in the hills and you, you really can't. But, um, you know, you can enter through the side yard, make a, make a loud sound. And I'll come down with the dogs. <laughs> and chairs are set far enough apart. It's very, it's very lovely, actually. Very idyllic. And I also, I have this wonderful neighborhood. Like I know so many of my neighbors, and my dog knows so many of their dogs. And so I have this little community, and it's, it's, it's perfectly sufficient. And I'm on, you know, uh, on the video screens with the staff. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I can try to get used to this. I know. I, I feel like, yeah, you're too happy. I feel like this is something we need to really unpack. I'm confused. I don't think that, um, I, what do you guys use? Are you using Zoom? We use Google Meetup and it's, it's ridiculous. You know, the internet is, is, has slowed down for all of us. So like everybody's sort of frozen and some sort of, you know, like they look like their, their tongue is, you know, hanging out of their mouth type of pose during these calls. But, uh, I lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about you using oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> I have been, I have been down the rabbit hole many times. You caught me on a, on an okay day. Uh, uh, how's your, how's your, uh, how's your drug use going? It's interesting. I started doing good question. I, I've been drinking a lot of wine, a little bit of whiskey, I used to be a pretty, pretty good stoner, and I started doing TM uh, transcendental meditation uh, right after the new year, and my desire to smoke weed has waned. Uh, mm. So I'm not really like, I'm not really like hitting hitting the ganj. Really? Sort of like, <laughs> but you, so so you're getting your are you getting your natural organic wine delivered to the house? Yep. Totally. Where, where are you getting it from, if you don't mind me asking? No worries. Silver Lake Wine, <laughs> where I always get it from. They're lovely, supporting local. Um, and 
and I am such a creature of habit. It's just one type of wine, and I don't change that. I don't. You're like, saying you get the same actual bottle delivered multiple times per week? I'll get like a case, and it'll last for whatever, and then I'll just get another what, case. What? Can, what? What's the wine? Just out of curiosity, now. <laughs> it's, I think it's called Arco Nova. Um, it's like got a, it's a white wine. It's very light. I tend to like to consume and drink things that are uh, near tasteless and colorless. So you're going. That's so a, this is a Vino Verde. It's a Vino Verde. Mm-hmm. It's got like a little bit of a tiny little bit of a sparkle to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Great. So do I. So do I. <laughs> so this is this is, and it's a little bit more of a cheaper bottle too, right? It's cheap, which is. I, I'm not a cheap person, but I always enjoy a bargain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it happens to be cheap. Um, so it, that's all working out. And when you're and when my, you're drinking in that much bulk and volume, it is good to you know go for a little more economical choice. No doubt. I'm not. You know, I've never. I'm, I'm a wino a bit, but I'm not an onophile. I don't. Mm-hmm. I can't like a wine list. A long wine list gives me a panic attack. Like I, I don't understand how anybody actually really knows what they're ordering or asking when they're doing that. I feel like people are mostly bullshitting. Same. So I just kind of, you know, you know what, what you like. It works. It tastes good. It gets you drunk. Why? Why? Or, why fuck with that? Totally. Totally. And you're doing. And you said you're doing blue aprons. Yeah, the blue. (laughs) Do you have a promo code that we can shout out? I do, I do, and this is how I started. Somebody, my friend Sydney, uh, who is a fashion person from New York who moved here a couple of years ago, lives on the other side of the hill, and he gave me a free uh, week of that, uh, which I will share with you. Mm. And nepotism at at work. What's that? Nepotism at work. How the rich get richer. And you know. I don't even like put, this is like my, I, I love it because they're basically grocery shopping for me. Um, I don't use most of the ingredients. I just sort of prep the salmon or, you know, the tofu or whatever it is that they send mm-hmm. in the most simple of ways. But it, it's like veggies and all this stuff without me having to go to the grocery store. Were you do, so you, you were doing this pre-quarantine though? No, no. Blue Apron just started then. My lunch delivery, my vegan lunch delivery, I've been doing for two years. Whenever I'm like working like a band in here, like hardcore everyday working, I can't think about lunch. I just have to like have it ready to go. What's the vegan delivery? What is it? It's called thistle. I hate saying that word. And <laughs> I would too. I would too. It's like, it's a, it's a rough word. Have but you ever yelled at your assistant, where's my fucking thistle? Where's my thistle? <laughs> uh, I do not have an assistant, so no. <laughs> First of all, Jason, I had to lay off my assistant. Thank you for asking. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, listen, what I am, I am not good with an assistant. I'm much better with just like a staff, but mm-hmm. and I'm not a nightmare boss. But uh, no, it's just like salad. It's just like again, it's like they're buying my veggies for me. I have to like force feed myself salad for lunch, so I I get all of those nutrients in for the day mm-hmm. i'm not a I, I don't cook at all so this i understand where you're coming from i feel like blue apron might actually be the ticket for me to introduce cooking into my life it's wonderful it's like teaching me all these prep tools and like how to like massage kale and make it like <laughs> vinaigrette and shit it's cool <laughs> J- jason is being modest but he's basically like a a restaurant level home cook oh shit so cool. i it, he's been really doing some wild shit that I feel like is um, 
uh, it takes a lot of time. I feel like that's part of the appeal of cooking right now. Yeah, just time killing in general. A, you know, a, a project that could take multiple hours or days is 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 welcome for me. I I'm enjoying the. I always what I always like about cooking is I actually like the prep. So the chopping and and all of that stuff because mm-hmm. you can't be on your phone and you you can't really be doing anything else because you're handling knives and stuff. There's something <laughs> that um, just is very meditative and you're, and you're working with your hands and not really your brain as much. Yeah, it's just like repetitive and I don't need to look at the directions on how to chop the fucking peppers or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. no, I've been into the blue apron. What uh, what time of the day does that first uh, vino verde sip go down the throat? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I try not to have any sort of mind altering substance until like after six six thirty, mm-hmm. so I can actually like you know because I'm kind of lightweight and I'll fall asleep like two hours into that. So mm-hmm. you know somebody will, somebody will typically come over around you know. 5.36, bring out the wine then, try to pace myself. What about you? I, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably on the same exact schedule as you, but it has been a little harder with the daylight savings where it's still like the sun is still out at like 7.30 at night. So that's kind of been messing with my head, whereas normally, you know, I would already be, I'd already be a little toasted by then. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> But that's fine. Um, uh, have you been falling asleep earlier in the day? You know, the not, not so much. I'm not a good napper, and it's really it's a shit show in my house because all the design stuff is here and everything's here. Um, so I'm always sort of like I can't sort of turn my brain off because there's like a board where I have to figure out how to sort something or what 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 to do with something and I'll just sort of get into that and it's kind of like fun um but uh, but the problem is I'll like fall asleep on my couch watching some boring ass tv at like 8 30 and then wake back up at 10 30 and then I'm fucked that'll like, fuck you up that's the worst thing you can do I was gonna ask if you were if you were because you know I've I've really tried to to be like highbrow guy during this shit and like watch things that I need to see Sure. But I've I've only watched garbage, like only shit. I know, I know. Doesn't sound even like you're trying too hard. It's even when I'm on Criterion, which I love that streaming uh, service. I'm watching like the B movies. Like there was this B movie with Alain Delon and um, Charles Bronson and <laughs> Toshiro Mifune. That was called Red Sun. That like. Is they you know they say like this isn't a good movie but it's like part of cinematic history because these guys are in it. I'm like watching the worst Criterion stuff when I'm watching that. <laughs> Scott, Scott, you have to understand watching the worst Criterion stuff is not watching Too Hot to Handle, a dating show where they're not allowed to have sex on Netflix. You have, <laughs> oh, you have to understand. Lord. There's levels to the shit of what of what is what is considered bad. No, I, I know, I feel you. Somehow my my tolerance, I do not have the bug or the the gene for a certain type of reality TV. Like I can't like a real housewives, a dating show bachelor. I can't do, but I do love the voice. Uh, very <laughs> the voice. So you're going to shit on all my stuff, but the voice you ride for the voice is, is special. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't watch any of that bullshit, but I am a big fan of the Masked Singer. Though those guys can really belt it out. Ooh, I should check that out. The Masked yeah, no, Singer no, is absolutely deranged. About, I know what you're saying about the voice, though. Like you get to see like the arc of someone's life changing and like real, real raw emotion and victory yes. and defeat is all happening on a, on a show. I exactly, and I challenge you not to cry <laughs> at least once watching an episode of The Voice. Uh, they do a good job of really packaging it that way, though. I think tear jerking is their goal more than anything else. No, what, yes, and and just Kelly Clarkson love. <laughs> do, have you have you watched have you watched Kelly Clarkson's new daytime talk show? I have not. I didn't want to ruin any. Love <laughs> are you are you a Clarkson head? I you know I I respect her because of uh, her voice. I think she. I think she's so. I, here's why I like Kelly Clarkson. I don't, I'm not interested in her talk show, but like, she was like mired in the cheesiest, you know, sort of ascent to fame that there could be mm-hmm. in a way, and could have just gone so many bad places. But she's so she's actually a really talented person, and she sort of usurped all that, and has a res, you know a respectful music career. The uh, the Carly Rae Jepsen effect, perhaps. Uh, totes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think the the only thing that's interesting about her show is that she um, does a different cover song every day, which is like pretty impressive. Oh, see, I with, a, know with a full band, yeah, it's like oh, her, wow. like the way Ellen dances. She does a cover song. I cannot deal with Ellen dancing. <laughs> you know this El, this this no, Ellen no. back this Ellen backlash is really doing something for me. I like yeah, it. I love I, it. It's interesting. You know, it's it's tough with her. Because I think she's done a lot of good stuff with her platform over the years. And she's been an incredible role model for gay people. Like, she, came, I came out of the closet like two weeks after she came out of the closet. And it wasn't, I was already going to do it, but she definitely helped. Like she How, changed old the conversation. How old were you? I was uh, 20. And, but the flip side is, in Hollywood, like her reputation is not very good. I mean, she's no. she's known to just be a, kind of a, a pretty acerbic, mean person. Mm-hmm. Um, so the backlash, yeah. And she, she got, I mean, she got a big backlash recently because she just wasn't paying her staff and employees during this time when she has just millions and millions and millions of dollars. So many dollars, so many houses. <laughs> well, speaking, so of, many dollars. Speaking, of, speaking of the Hollywood biz, weren't you... A little bit part a part of that in your in your earlier days, a little bit, yeah. My uh, for sure. When I moved out here in 1997, and I wanted to make movies, I didn't totally know what what that meant. Um, but mm-hmm. I worked at CAA, the talent agency, which is sort of like boot camp for you know mm-hmm. something like right did you, college. Did you start in the mailroom and do the whole thing? No, no, I because I didn't want to be an agent, I thought. And so I just got a job on a desk, on a talent agent's desk. Okay. And it just happened to be, we really clicked. And and I had a great experience for that year. I, I The proximity of his office to the partners of the agency, Brian Lord, Kevin Uvane, David O'Connor at the time, uh, Richard Lovett, was such that I got to know all these guys who ran the company. And about a year and a half Later, after working for a screenwriter, which I didn't really love, um, in 99, when all the dot-com entertainment stuff was really pre, pre-initial pre burst, when all that was happening, they were 
they were uh, forming a new media, di- digital media department. They called it New Media at the time. I remember, I, the, I remember New Media as a phrase. It's so funny. <laughs> and I became a new media agent. Um, so I ended up at CAA for another three and a half years. But it wasn't really, I was Hollywood adjacent for sure, but I wasn't making movies or TV shows. It was much more about really this wild, wild west of what, would become what was TiVo at the time and what would become everything streaming, everything that we're looking at now and, and kind of figuring, navigating the agency's clients through that. Did you, did you think that was going to be as, as like shifting as it, as it has been? I mean, yeah, it was so obvious. Even the TiVo, even understanding what just TiVo uh, DVRs did to uh, appointment based entertainment and, and, television i mean that was just so it was it was so profound right like and what i what we could see because what we were meeting every tech company that had anything to do with 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 media with entertainment because they all wanted to meet with caa what was so evident at the time was the speed of innovation was that it wasn't like okay here's dvrs and we're going to be riding on that like for 20 years like when television was invented or radio or whatever before or after that it was so clear that like it was this exponential like insane rate of innovation so like we were just going to keep seeing more and more change and what was happening with music at the time which was really the first industry to be hit and then to really uh you know freak out from napster and then really fix itself write itself uh so it's you know so artists and labels still make a lot of money um, it was clear that there was a path forward, and but that everything was going to going to be disrupted. I miss appointment television. I think that that's they're doing a good job of that right now with that that the Last Dance, the documentary um, about the Bulls. I think that that stuff now it just lives on Twitter. Interestingly, yeah, no, we're it's it's sad culturally. It, you you miss something. You you miss this sort of connection and this sense of this loosely tied community around these media events you know like and and it, it, it's a bummer but i and i i've seen little bits of that basketball stuff but i'm so not a sports person that sports being one of the few appointment based things left like i don't even yeah that. i'm not a sports person either i think this is only relevant to me because of culturally how big it was and i was the right age yeah. for that to be like such a big deal especially advertising wise just like the Jordan Nike era was so big. Yeah, um, no doubt. It's like hard to to ignore, but it's it's. I mean, it's more th- about him being a monster than it's about sports. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that makes you, it more entertaining. What do you think about Quibi? Um, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, one of my colleagues, Jim Toth, who who was in the New Media Group with me, who became a really big talent agent uh, afterwards. Um, when I sort of moved on to do my stuff, he's, he's running some of the programming there. Um, and it reminds me, Quibi, a lot of the type of things we were talking about 20 years ago at CAA, uh, mm. you know, things you would want to watch on your phone. I haven't watched any of it. I'm not particularly like, to me, I'm pretty platform agnostic. Like I don't, I, I, I don't think that way about entertainment. Like, Mm-hmm. I'm happy to watch a movie on my phone or on a big screen or whatever it is, like, or both and see it both ways and get something different out of it each time. So 
I think mm. if the content's good, great. I haven't checked it out. Have you watched anything? No, not at all. I mean, I, I have a weird thing where I sort of want it to fail for no real reason. <laughs> 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 Which is not very nice, but you know, who knows? I mean, it's an uphill battle. It's another monthly fee that you're asking people to pay. And again, like, why? What's surprising to me about it is is this idea that platform specific content, like, I don't know, like, the, I, there's so much to watch on my phone already. Like, I'm I'm good. Do you watch that much? Do you use your phone that way though? Like you do, you do do that. I do it not for full entertainment necessarily, but I'm you know I'm such a researcher, so I'm always going down YouTube holes and and um, you know whether that's like looking for an old movie clip to see something or to get a vibe or uh, a piece of inspiration for something I'm shooting or whatever it is. I, I use my phone for so much, but if I'm going to kick back and and dive into, uh, you know, Homeland season eight, as I just <laughs> finished, uh, I'll be on my TV, you know? I, I just, I find the phone, like, I, I like to look at stuff on my phone too, but then I have an issue of like, where do I catalog this to look at it later on the actual computer? That's the problem I have. I know that, you know, I, I feel like that's, it's one weird, I think about that a lot in terms of just the constant flow of ideas uh, that I have and the, the cross-platform set of inspiration and imagery and research and like there really isn't an application or a tool to sort of tie all that stuff together. You know? I feel like no, there I, probably is. We just don't know about it, but I'm sure somebody listening to this right will sell Chris or send Chris a, a link to this solution. Yeah, this mystery program. But I do think that that is like um, one of the things that I – because I know a lot of people, especially younger than me, that like book flights on their phone. And, and I don't ever think, I don't ever think to do something like that. It's funny. I made the crossover. I used to be like that and I would then get like too nervous to do that. But now I, now when, well, at least when we used to fly places, I will do that. <laughs> I, I mean, I've done it before in a pinch, but it just feels unnatural to me is, is what I, you know, I'm the same way, Chris. I, yeah. My, my girlfriend will use her phone to do everything, all flight booking, all researching, all, all of that stuff. And, I got to get my lappy out for it, which means, I guess, that we are boomers. We're boomers. We're definitely boomers. <laughs> oh, fucking sucks. <laughs> I love but that. I, I'm I love more, aging. I relate to Gen X, even though I'm a, I'm a millennial by, by numbers. But Gen X is what I want to be. That's my fantasy. So you feel very Gen X. I'm so core Gen X. I know. I'm jealous. It's perfect. All the best music. All the shit I like is Gen X. Yeah. Everything that I think is cool and that I relate to is, is Gen X. That's the only reason why you're on this show today, Scott. It has nothing to do with any of your body was, of work. I was wondering. He just wants really? he just wants to know what, what it was like back then, man. <laughs> yeah, so did you see Reality Bites like in the theater? <laughs> I actually saw Reality Bites in the theater. <laughs> I, but I do think that it's did you were you an early adopter of Instagram and stuff because it's I mean it's obviously integral to the brand and how you guys use it and it feels very you um if you followed your work or know you it feels very you did you were you in on it early or did it take you a while to to get the cadence it wasn't late but it wasn't early early like at band of outsiders we started I, I couldn't quite figure out you know I'd been taking polaroids for years and 
so we had a perfect image to fit into a square, which was the only way you could post at the time. Mm. Um, but right away, like right at the beginning, I remember a few people around me doing it. And I, I was just like, I, I don't, there wasn't a huge audience yet. So it didn't feel like a brand platform. Mm. And personally, I'm not a, a self promoter. I'm really happy to promote a brand or promote my work or whatever. But like, I don't, I'm not all that comfortable, like just like, publishing my life or whatever. But we did the show in 2012 or 13 in Paris called the longest show ever, where we had a model in a gallery window for like three days, wearing the looks over the course of three days with this whole like Joseph boys manifesto of how he was going to do it. And that's when we started Instagram. We used that as a tool to uh, the behind the scenes of the whole thing. Um, it was all very conceptual, and did, then from there I got really into it for band. Yeah, did that hit hard though? Out of the out of the gate, did that like resonate? I mean, yes, sure. For however big of a medium, yeah, true, was, true. Right, it was pretty. It was pretty small, and you know, I mean, I, I, I think that what I, it, that was also a very conceptual idea, and I think my my core cult following um, definitely di- dove right in. Um, to some extent, what what I put out there, I think, is a little bit of a slower build. You know, I, it doesn't. I, I'm never. I'm always trying to, in a subtle way, do something that's uh, both completely referential and totally fresh. So those types of ideas, I think, are a little harder for to hit broadly really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, the Polaroid thing. I noticed you posted some the other day. I mean, mm-hmm. is there? That's something that I closely relate to you and, and your work in general. But is that something you plan to put in one place at some point? You know, we were going to, I was supposed to do a book at one point during band. And, you know, as the book industry, uh, you know, sort of like devolved over the years, not devolved, but just became a tougher and tougher industry. Yeah. You realize that doing a book as a brand, um, you're paying for that book. Yeah, it cost, yeah, I was going to say, it costs cost you money. It cost you. <laughs> and and it, was, it was towards the end of band when things were just sort of crashing and burning. So that got a, kind of got put on, put on the back burner. And, you know, whenever I think about those images and look back on them, I'm so uh, proud of that time. And I, it was such a wonderful sort of ongoing project. And it was so cool. It was such a cool platform because it was, it was so easy to, to sort of attract uh, actors and musicians to do it. Everybody was down. And was I was going to ask, I mean, I, I think that the range is pretty crazy and you were early on a few people, of course. Um, but I, I think that what, how does that come about? Is that personal relationships? Is that like friend of a friend? Like how does it, you know, I know it's different every time, but it's, yeah, it's sort of different every time. And I think like at the beginning we shot, um, the first people we shot were Jason Schwartzman and Michelle Williams and Michelle. I met at a CFDA Vogue fashion fund, like competition event at Anna's apartment. She was Philip Lim's date. And she sheepishly walked up to me and introduced herself because she was obsessed with boy by band of outsiders. My little cult menswear for women uh, line that had just launched and uh, we just hit it off and, I, I think of I think it. of her as the face of that kind of in my mind. So much. I mean, she was she was our you know her and Kirsten, uh, who also I had done a video project with before that, and then shot I've shot her a bunch since. They were both my 
you know, sort of mega muses. So she was, I mean, she was perfect and so cool to work with. And Jason, uh, his cousin is Jackie Getty, who I think she was probably working for Bazaar at the time, but she's a stylist and she was in my apartment, which was our office at the time. And uh, she brought Jason because she was, she, she saw, I wasn't even there. And he, he wandered into my TV room and saw my DVD collection. And then just, we started emailing because we love all the same movies. And uh, then he did it. And then from there, it, it just became, that became the calling card where sometimes it would be like Rashida and Kadada. I've known for Rashida Jones and Kadada Jones. I've known for forever. They were really easy. Josh Brolin, I was just like, I did a Western, <laughs> a Western collection and he's who I envisioned and his publicist is rad. And she, you know, he's sort of down for stuff. You know, actors yeah. are great. Actors want to act like they want to work. And these were, you know, these were sort of pre Instagram. They were, they were very narrative. And I, it was more of a project than like a promotion. So no, it feels more involved and more personal. I think that's why people still talk about it. You know what I mean? But I, I think the range, like I, the Ed Ruscha one sticks out to me. Um, we chased him for a long time. So um, that was, that was just, you wanted to do it and I'm going to get this shit done. I mean, we just really wanted to do it. And we, I have two of my best friends of the world are in the art world and they helped uh, introduce me to Mary Dean who runs his studio and we just chipped away. And, you know, Ed's also a ham. He's wonderful. He did a video, a couple of videos yeah. for, me for, for entire world. Um, when you, when he, when you get him to show up or when you, sh that was at his studio, when you show up there, he's, he's so happy to do it. And once you're, really once you're there, it's, it's go time, but the, the process can be difficult. Yeah. I mean, you really have to contextualize this for people and, and, um, sort of let it, let it be their decision as to when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. But, um, yeah, no, that was, that was awesome. That was a great shoot. I mean, we chased, we didn't really chase Frank Ocean, but like that took a good eight months to, to like get what era, what era of Frank Ocean is that? That was um, okay. So that was the that was the longest show ever collection. The collection where we launched in so twenty twelve. Uh, so it was twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen. So it was it was during it was when he was nominated for Grammys for Channel Orange because I okay. also made his I made his yellow suit uh, that he performed. He did this performance at the Grammys where he was like half on video and half. At, half live. So we had to make a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, so he was, it was post mix mixtape, post channel orange, pre blonde. Um, and he was living in, living in Hollywood. Did you, but is that, is that, um, were you a fan? Like, did you just approach, like, I want to do this? Yeah, I was a, I was a huge fan and I, we got in touch I, with his manager uh, at the time, the Clancy's, who managed all yeah. the Odd, Odd Future crew, um, Tyler and everybody. And, you know, I mean, we, this was so in Frank's zone. Like, he he loves Wes Anderson. He loved Band of Outs. He loved all that stuff. He was well, I was going to say, I think some people are also so familiar with the brand and fans of it already, you know. Yeah, so it was just sort of a matter of, like, you know, finding the right time and the right moment. And, you know, it's one of those shoots that you don't really know it's going to happen until that it like starts happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, yeah, That was a fun deck. Did, and, and Polaroid, is that something you just always liked uh, as like an artist? Like, do you no. like that medium? 
I study, no. I mean, yes, sure. But I stud- what happened was I studied photography in college. I was an economics major, but I, I spent a lot of time in, uh, in, in the, with the photo geeks and um, had a lot of photo credits. And so I, I understood a lot about art history and history of photography and composition and, and film and light and all that stuff. And when, when bands and I, you know, sort of played around with that through the years while at CAA or otherwise, when bands started and I needed to do a lookbook or something, I needed to create imagery. I just went for a Polaroid because it, it was pragmatic. It was a way that I could do shoots. This was pre-celebrity. I was shooting, um, it was just men's and I was shooting a couple guys that I met around here, um, young actors or whatever. And it was just easy. I didn't have to light it. I could use, mm. you know, I, I used a, a vintage, like a early eighties Polaroid that had a very strong fill flash. Um, and that had autofocus and I could play a little bit with the aperture. Um, so I could play a little bit with different light situations and it just, you could, and you could buy the film at Rite Aid. You know, and it, it wasn't cheap, um, but it was way cheaper than having a crew and lighting stuff. And oh, yeah, for sure. Booking locations, and I could just be rogue and go anywhere anywhere with it. And then when I started shooting uh, people with a higher profile, it's such an unassuming yeah. uh, camera and medium. And we could just in real time, you know, edit the images. So, if, you know, anybody getting their photograph taken you and published somewhere like you really are mostly concerned of like the bad shots and anything that was bad it's like here you just take it you can trust that i'm never going to do anything with this yeah that is that's the ultimate that's the ultimate (laughs) trust that's true there's there's no film that's that's it um so yeah it just be it was a sort of a uh invention is the necessity is the mother of invention sort of thing and it, it just worked and the, and now I feel like it's it's more video, obviously. And is that just something that that you feel like fits our world better now, or is that also more attractive to you, just a, a, as a person? Uh, it's both. You know, I, you know, when I was conceiving of entire world, which I had more time to do than band. Band sort of was a was a full idea at the beginning, but it also then found itself over time as it became more than just shirts and ties and and the Polaroids and all that stuff with entire world. I knew that I was going to raise a little money and I was going to launch this, this full vision of a brand uh, through product and imagery and, and retail platform and all that stuff. So I, I did make a conscious decision that I wanted the, the content that came out of the brand that wasn't like the e-commerce sort of like clear imagery that helps you buy the stuff um, that I wanted to shoot video. And it was, it was just, it just instinctually felt, Creative, like where I creatively where I wanted to be, and it felt like I could create something new that way that uh, was more engaging and just different um, than everything else out there. And you know, I, I think that I'm still I still sort of like miss photography, and I, I think that we'll integrate more of our own photography into entire world. But I also think that Instagram, which is for better or worse, the primary or only platform right now that we through which we reach people other than our e-commerce platforms um and there's Raya. something about this what's that and raya and, raya. <laughs> and tinder and raya i think that that's like somehow the images that people send us feel 
like enough and we repurpose those and it it's no i think that part of the brand as well you know that whole thing that you guys do which is i think obviously clever and extremely cost effective it also i think you know makes people feel like they're part of the brand it's special it feels good um i lo- and- I'd love to hear that and they are honestly like it's it's like we need that you know like that's it, it's the only like we're we're trying to you know earnestly create a community and and I, I said it from day one, like this has to, this is democratic in so many ways. It has to be not by concept only, but like by doing and, and being. So well, I just speaking, think that- uh, speaking of that, what are some ways that you guys are, are using, you know, we can't do any actual photo shoots now. You can't really shoot any e-commerce stuff or editorial stuff. Have you and other, you know, heads of captains of industry, other designers, discussed ways that you can create your content um in the quarantine it's tough i mean i haven't talked to anybody else i think we had luckily shot a lot we've front loaded a lot of stuff and some of our stuff is just sort of stuck in you know we're not releasing it until july 4th anyway because it's such a weird time and we don't want Mm -hmm. to bring it into the country and pay the duties and do all that stuff so i'm hopefully hopefully we'll have a window to create some imagery in june but we've really relied on um, everybody else taking images and, and posting them. And that's gone from, I don't know, 15% of the content to 30% of the content. Mm-hmm. But it feels more uh, vital than ever. And, uh, you know, we're always digging into the, the inspo feels and, like, the old film stuff and little clips and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of creating new imagery, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think... Where, where, where I've struggled in terms of like photo shoots for this brand and all, always throughout fashion is like whatever it is, even outside of this quarantine, like a photo shoot with a bunch of models, it's so hard for it not to feel like a contrived photo shoot with a bunch of models. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so when we're ideating for like imagery ideas for this, it's like we do come up against the wall of how does this not feel contrived? So we always just go back to these images that people are, are already taking of our stuff and posting uh, that aren't commissioned and just asking them if we can repost. Um, mm-hmm. So do you, you think, do you think moving forward, once we're done with all this, that will sort of forever alter the way that you guys create editorial content? I mean, I think we're going to continue along our path. We're, we'll, we've always embraced that we're just getting way more incoming image images than ever. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're posting them and hopefully they'll, they'll keep coming. Cause it's cool. Um, I think we'll go back to video like in that type of stuff. And we always have to shoot the, the stuff for the shopping experience, which is its own bucket mm-hmm. uh, and super important. I'm always anxious to find new ways to tell stories and new store, have think of new stories to tell and all that stuff. I, I mean, I am somewhat anxious to take my own photos again. Um, however mm-hmm. much I love directing videos, it's sort of more fun. You get to say action and shit. Uh, <laughs> you love saying action. <laughs> action. <laughs> it's fun. Okay. I mean, well, I, I, I do think, though, that community building aspect is, um, so, like you said, I can tell it's something you set out to do. But I also, I think when we first met, I was like, how did you what's up with this bonkers ass website you created? <laughs> Cause like I, uh, I love the website and I remember all of my like 
real design like tech bros being like, yo, what the fuck is this? This is crazy, blah, blah, blah. And, and then I explained to them who you are and what the brand was. And they were like, oh, this is so amazing. But did you have resistance uh, from, uh, from anyone? Or were you like, this is what we're fucking doing? Sorry. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I had, we worked with an amazing uh, design firm on that. I had really, I knew what I wanted the website to be. I knew that I wanted to have a, you know, uh, like this sort of collage type of feel. It was so important that every touch point with the brand felt uh, like a little left field, like a little bit like uh, futurist and also like kind of back asswards, ass backwards or whatever in a way. <laughs> and a little bit analog and a lot digital and sort of this tension between, between that stuff. And I listen, we got, I got a lot of pushback from even investors at the beginning. Like, what the fuck is this? So that's our, what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. <laughs> but you know, the reality is minus some bugs that we're honestly still working through. Cause you're always working through that stuff. Like, and we did a, we did a 1.2 of it, which worked through a lot of it, but our conversion is above industry average and average and always has been. And our, you know, whatever the session time, whatever the fuck that, that data points called like people are, it's people are on the site for quite some time. Um, so it's, it's doing its job. I think that, you know, like any brand has to think about, like, as we want to scale and reach more people, um, we need to just balance out like the weirdness with the accessibility, but it's pretty intuitive, you know, like, and I think that there's something to, uh, challenging somebody for a second. Um, I think people appreciate that. Also, I think, well, I think that's refreshing because what I, I think that's most people design a website like for dumb dumbs. Like, let's make this as simple as possible so we can make as most mon- much money as possible in the shortest amount of time. Um, mm-hmm. And there's something to be said for that too. <laughs> there's something. There's no. There's no doubt. You know, I. There's no doubt, and and I think that I, I get both sides of it. I think that there's. I'm creatively interested in a lot more than that. And from a brand business perspective, I think the long game, um, we're so much better off when we're driven by idiosyncrasy and, and a unique, specific, uncompromising point of view. Uh, the brands that I love and sort of look to as beacons all were founded that way and have, have sort of been that way, you know, through their trajectory uh, to become big global brands. So it's, it just takes a level of um, steadfastness. What do you think? I mean, I, I know the pop-up in LA, it, it went well, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was an amazing thing. Like we did not, we basically did not pay for that space. So it didn't really have to do much, but it was a great, uh, it was a great like three week. Uh, but I just, I think that people are, you know, um, interested if there were to be a store, I just think you've created such a world. Are you interested in a store? Or are you like, I don't need to do that. It's a good question. It's a tough one. I, it's so hard. Cause I do, I, I did grow, I grew up in this industry through band through a different era already of, of like this, that's a milestone that you open a store, something you do. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's a big step and it, and it shows people that you've, you've made it or whatever. And it, it's an important touch point and experience uh, for your consumer and all that stuff. 
I still believe it can be pretty impactful. I think this is really throwing that for a loop. There's no question. And it's going to be a couple of years or maybe a year before people start to feel really comfortable just uh, being that close to each other. Um, but let's say post all of that. Sure. I'm definitely interested in that. But I do think we, 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 we get a lot done online and we, and we do it pretty efficiently. So if we're going to do a store and it's, it, it's really, it has to be pretty additive um, in terms of what type of product you can get there, um, what that experience is there. Uh, you know, it, it really has to check a lot of boxes and, you know, financially it's really expensive and, I don't, I always think, oh, the real estate market's going to write itself. Um, but it's insane. Like, you know, Chris, we were talking about doing that pop up in New York for no, it was crazy. ever. I, and yeah. it was like, I could not, it was in, for Howard's, for fucking Howard Street. <laughs> this guy wanted so much money. And like, I just couldn't make sense of it. Like, however much I wanted to be there and I wanted to be there for the customer who wanted it and to, for all those other girls lined up outside of Reformation and and <laughs> tourists lined up outside of opening ceremony and and foodies lined up outside of the smile, like it was like no fucking way we were going to spend all that money just to to do this cute little store for a couple months. So it's a, it's really got to something's got to give there for for that to make sense. I think that I think that oh I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean that shit's totally fucked, and we've had you know. Um, I've had those conversations many times. I, I think, though, specifically, people would want that from you only because of kind of, again, like you've created this whole world. And, and of course, online, that's something, but offline's a different thing. Um, and no the, the one-two punch of both, I think, would be really impactful, um, specifically from you guys. Um, but I also recognize it as a you know small brand. It's it's financially not the most responsible thing to do. <laughs> it's crazy. Like I looked at that store that um, is it Bodhi? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, yeah. And that's the most beautiful store I've been in in years. It's so gorgeous. It photographs really well too. Um, Did you see your apartment? Uh, no. Yeah, it's on Architectural Digest last week. It's it's crazy. Oh, cool. I mean, it's, it's really just gorgeous. And, and I have to say, like, I haven't been back to New York, but like, it may, I, like the images of those stores made me want to go there, maybe want to learn more about her, yeah. more about the brand. Um, and knowing how sort of individualized and customized that product already is, like, I, you know, that, that got me excited about what a des- retail physical destination could be. That's interesting you brought that up because that's the first time I've been in a store where I was like, nothing smells like this, nothing looks like this, nothing feels like this. Um, and it, it is very powerful. It is very powerful. It makes me want to spend $800 on a shirt I'll wear three times, you know? <laughs> Chris, it sounds like you're describing pussy. <laughs> yeah, no, it does sound like that. I know. But I do think it's just like, it's crazy what she's been able to do with that. But I think if you stay the course, you can do that, you know? And if you... If you're just like, I'm only going to do this one thing and it's going to be my way, um, you know, it can work for some people. Well, you know, I, I think that that's for that type of brand. Also, listen, our cost structure and our margin structure is completely different. We have to, you know, we get a really good margin on our hero stuff for sure. But we make our average unit retail is just way lower than that. So we have to sell a lot of units, which means we have to get a lot of custom more customers through a store for it to financially make sense. And just the reality of 
what it takes to do that from a marketing perspective and from a rent perspective, being in a high trafficked area, like it just, it makes less sense. Whereas for Bodhi, that's, that is a essentially a luxury product that should have the margins uh, to support that. And because the price point's so high, like I'm assuming the store is not that big. It's I, could make sense. It should make sense. No, I mean, it's on Hester Street, too. You, you know what I mean? It's like most yeah. people can't put a store in that area because they need foot traffic. She doesn't need foot traffic. Exactly. So it's it's a totally different game. I mean, exactly. do, do you miss New York at all? Ugh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really I really don't. I, I need to rekindle my love. Here's what I, I miss missing New York. I miss loving New York. And there was a period of my life where I spent so much time there uh, before Band of Outsiders with my dear college friends and, of course, during band production in Brooklyn and Fashion Weeks and all that stuff. And I really did have a good run. But it just just took a turn at some point. Uh, and I, I'm sure a lot of this is is battle scars from from having that store for a second at Band of Outsiders and all the stress of being there and kind of closing the company and dealing with all that. But the city just took a different patina to me and it just became like, kind of like poop and, and, and dog feet <laughs> and, and, and like rats. To be, to be fair, it's always been that, but I think yeah. it's very easy to not see that if you're enjoying it. When you're not enjoying it, those are the only things you see. Yes. Um, but bottom line, but, LA better is what we're saying. I've lived here for well for over twenty years. Mm. It is so in my. I'm, I grew up in Ohio, but there's something so that just tied me ties me to the city and the mythology of the city. And I sound like a little bit like a Jewish New Yorker, but I'm I'm really an Angelino at heart. I'm an outdoor guy and. And all that. What but, about you know, uh, what about Orange County? You ever get down there? I never <laughs> get to the OC. Mm. <laughs> okay, fair, fair. I do. I have to say, I love New Yorkers, though. I, I love the. I well, love we're we're a better people. The weather is just terrible. I mean, let's be real. Uh, I mean, you know, it's two different things. But I mean, I also love LA more than most people in New York, and for some reason, I can't live there. It just seems too boring for me right now. It, it there's a there's. There's something very quiet about LA. It's it's it's. I need it though. I couldn't function otherwise. I mean, I think it's a better place to run a business like yours. Like it's a more realistic place to operate. In some ways, there's a lot more space. It is very. It has always been incredibly hard for me to build a team here, though. Like design, no talent, talent, <laughs> design, CEO talent. That that whole type of thing. It's it's really not about that. We here. don't we don't care um, much for that type of job work. You know? Those yeah. things are not very cool. How do you spell work, bro? I'm going to the beach again. Uh, God help me. Well, what? Scott. Oh, go ahead. Thank you for joining us, bro. Dudes, happy bro. to do it. Bro, um, if you need if you need to go to Orange County, Jason is from there and is a great tour guide. I highly recommend it. There's a an amazing uh, Noguchi Sculpture Garden across from South Coast Plaza that I feel like you might like. Mm-hmm. Rad. And there's some I'm great in. protests going on right now. If you want, <laughs> I can sh- tell you what intersections they're at. Terrific. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you seem know, like a front. You seem like a front lines guy to us. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's my vibe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can where can people find you uh, on the internet? 
theentireworld.com. Got it. Okay. On the the Instagram, we're at entireworld. And you don't have a personal Instagram, do you? I do. It's at scott.sternberg. I don't like do much with it other than like post sunsets and like pictures of my dog, but. Great. So you and you and my mom have the same account. Great. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. I love that. well, that's my favorite favorite kind of content. Thanks, <laughs> thanks again, Scott, and and um, have fun at the vet. I can't wait for you to get out, get in the car, and really oh see God, see Los Angeles again luck. for the first time. Panic attack! Thank you guys. Bye. We'll talk soon. Bye, Later. Bye.